Before we read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, let's come to God in prayer. Lord God, you richly bless us. You bless us with visual reminders and your presence through your sacraments. And we're reminded again of your amazing grace. And you richly bless us with your word. So through the reading of your word, may we see Jesus proclaimed. May we see the cross. May we see your Holy Spirit again convict us of your grace and your love. And increase our faith in you. Hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture reading is from uh, Mark 8, verses 27 to 38. So second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, chapter 8, 27 to 38. Mark 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good, it is, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Thanks be to God for his word. Most of our congregation, or many of our congregation, is studying the the book by Kevin Adams, the book that understands you, and we are doing that in a small group capacity. Maybe some of you are doing that at home as well. And Kevin Adams, he shares this story as follows in in his book. My neighbor knocked on the front door, and he says that we've known each other for years, chatting across shrubs and about the weather, and we shared information on favorite campsites, teachers, and bug sprays. And our preschool daughters were best friends, constantly playing together. But this time his meeting was a little unusual, because he specifically asked for me. And visibly upset, he blurted, We need to talk. And I don't mean to be offensive, But my daughter can no longer attend church with your family. 
In his book, Adam states that his own daughter's contagious enthusiasm for church included inviting her best friend to come along. And church for her meant Play-Doh and snacks and stories and what wasn't to like. So his response, that's fine. I respect your decision. But can I ask why? Well, she came home this afternoon talking about a person nailed on two pieces of wood. And I don't want her hearing stories like that anymore. And silence hung thick in the air. And Adam states that it wasn't the story that troubled his daughter. It was that he didn't understand it. He was bright. He was well-read. But the church and the plot of the Bible were as foreign as Martian geography. And in theory, he and his wife had decided to raise their children without any faith so that then each child could choose a faith as they grew up. But this was too much, too soon, for the parents' liking. Adams goes on to state, Well, who can blame my neighbor for being bewildered? Any thoughtful person finds this crucial part of the biblical story confusing. In our reading this morning, there is also confusion. Jesus is with his disciples and asking, what are people saying about him? There's confusion in the area of Caesarea Philippi. There's a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And his disciples respond to Jesus by saying, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others just some other prophets. So people understand Jesus to be a man of God, but not God. They have seen and heard some of his miracles, but they do not really know who he is. And then Jesus then asks his disciples. Up to this point, his disciples have been referring to him as teacher, rabbi. So Jesus asks them, so who do you say I am? While Peter quickly pipes up and he says that, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. That Jesus has been anointed by God to rule, to bring healing, to bring restoration to this world. But there's also confusion with the disciples. And the disciples do not realize that this anointed one will have the cruelest death on the cross. And so the story continues because as the anointed one, Jesus, he predicts his death. The promises and the, pro- the promises in the Old Testament, and the prophets in the Old Testament were already talking about the coming of a Messiah, the suffering of a Messiah. And now Jesus here is telling his disciples about his upcoming death, that Jesus will suffer many things, not just the cross, but suffering even before the cross. That Jesus is going to be rejected by his people and then he's going to be killed. Now, if you picked up, Jesus did mention his resurrection. But perhaps it's possible that the disciples and Peter, they don't hear this part. Perhaps they're just so distracted by the suffering and the death. And this prediction of suffering and death sounded so far-fetched, really, that Peter actually rebuked Jesus. So Peter's confusion led to a rebuke, and his rebuke led to the dispute, the gospel message of the cross. 
Now in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. Well, Jesus' death, the prediction of his death, left Peter and disciples stumbling. It left them confused. And they had difficulty with the suffering Messiah. Because these two words, you got suffering and Messiah, these are words that should not go together. I mean, Peter's talking about the Messiah, power, authority, the anointed one. And then here Jesus is referring to suffering, death, weakness. And suffering and Messiah seem like two totally opposite conversations. And Jesus responds. And I don't think it was only that Peter didn't fully understand. I don't think it was only about his confusion. I mean, the disciples have had misunderstandings many other times as well. But Peter also here disputed Jesus' death. He disputed the cross. Well, when that happens, you're not of God. And if you're not for God, you're against Him. So as Jesus states, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus turned to all the disciples, okay? He's looking at them all, and He rebuked Peter. But the other disciples were probably taking it to heart as well. As Jesus said, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. They don't have in mind the will of God. They fell into disobedience. And the story continues. And Jesus then proceeds to call the crowds and the disciples. And he proceeds to tell them about the way to the cross. That the way to the cross is only through Jesus. That the way to the cross means suffering and death. The anointed one, the Messiah, did not die a glamorous, heroic death. It was tragic. It was gruesome. It was painful. It was really unfair. I mean, here we have Jesus, who was God in the flesh. And this was our God that hung on the cross. This was our God who was led to the most ashamed death on the cross. And at the time of his death, if you jump ahead to stories about his death, there was much confusion as well by followers and friends and family and leaders. 1 Corinthians 5, 21, we read these words, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus has taken all our sins upon him at the cross. In that once and for all action, we are forgiven, we are saved. We've become righteous before God. It's nothing that we've done, it is all what Jesus has done. He's taken all our sins upon him. We're reminded of that again through the sacrament. And then we think, well, maybe now we can just kind of sit back on easy street. But no, because there's no such thing as passive believers. Jesus calls people, he has done this for us, and he calls people. And we are to be obedient to his call. And we're to follow him. 
And when you begin to know Jesus Christ, everything in life, everything in your life begins to change. Oh yes, there still may be times of confusion. There will be things that disappoint you still. But God will not. And we need Him. And Jesus is worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. Follow the Anointed One, the Messiah. Now here's something interesting in this passage which isn't necessarily easy to pick up. Calvin Seminary professor Scott Jose, he shares that in verse 33, Jesus calls Peter Satan. We hear that, that's clear. Tells him to get behind me. Then the next verse, verse 34, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, or literally, literally translated in the original language, says, Whoever wants to get behind me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So in the Greek translation, and it's not recorded in the English, Jesus uses this phrase, behind me, in two different instances. Now, when Jesus says, you're going to be my disciple, I mean, it's assumed that as a follower, as a disciple, it's assumed that you follow behind the leader. To be my disciple automatically carries with it the sense of follow behind me. So Mark, he doesn't have to include these specific words, this phrase again, behind me. He doesn't have to literally spell it out, but he does spell it out for his readers. And what Mark is doing here is stating that there are two ways to get behind Jesus. You see, in both situations, people are behind Jesus. So, it might even look like someone is a follower of Jesus when in fact they are not. So you see, we have a choice to make. We can get behind Jesus. And we can hang on to this life. We can follow our own plans. We can follow our own wills. But if we do that, we get behind Him, not in line with His will, which means get behind me, Satan. Or we can get behind Jesus. We let go of this life. We let go of our own wills. We surrender our souls. We surrender our lives to Jesus. And we get behind Him as a follower, as a disciple. So what is your decision? Because everyone ends up behind Jesus. But the question is, are we going to end up behind Him, focusing so much on this life and world and not receiving eternal life? Or are we going to end up behind Him, centering our lives on Jesus Christ? in this life, following Him already today and receiving eternal life in the next. Everybody is behind Jesus, but are you behind Him as a follower or a Satan? And we need to make a decision. And our actions will be evident to that decision. So Jesus says, get behind me. Follow me. Deny yourselves. Now this is not saying to deny your identity. Not to deny that you are a son or daughter of the king of God. No, you are a son or daughter of the king. You're made in his image. You have value because of what Jesus has done for you. But what he's saying is to deny that old way of life. That rebellious nature that we all have that would say that 
Jesus, this is the way it's going to be done. And it's my way, and I want it done this way, and Lord, will you please bless it? Rather than Jesus, show me the way that you want me to live. Denying yourself means that we're to give up our own plans, to give up our own wills, to follow God's plan, to follow His will, and it's not easy. It's hard. And churches today, like we're all struggling with issues because people are coming to worship with their own wills, with their own plans, rather than God's will. And people are walking away from the church and from Jesus because they're following the world's ways and, and taking the world's ways as part of their, the way to follow. Deny yourselves, deny your own ways, your own wills. Then Jesus says to get behind me, follow me, and take up your cross. Now, taking up your cross is not saying, yeah, everybody has their cross to bear, and mine is maybe, maybe having an unsafe spouse or children who have turned from the Lord or, and no relationships with the parents, or, or mine is having an illness or, or facing death early in life. And these are all difficult circumstances, yes. But taking up your cross is not trials and temptations that we fall into, and then we simply say that we have our trials, we have our crosses to bear. No. Taking up one's cross is your willingness, your intentionality, your decision to pay any price for following Jesus. And it might be being ashamed, ridiculed, maybe persecuted, or even death. For many of the apostles, it was death. When Jesus said these words to the people, it was before his crucifixion. But people knew about crucifixion, they knew about it of other people. People knew that the cross meant torture and death, that it meant a terrible and tragic death. Taking up your cross would, picture, would be pictured as someone just walking down that road and carrying this cross on their back, walking slowly to his death. And sometimes a very unfair death. Following Jesus is being willing to go that far because he says, get behind me, follow me. The gospel of grace, the gospel message is the gospel of grace. Out of grace, Jesus has completed the work of salvation. He's gone to the cross and the work of salvation is in Christ alone. And our role is to respond in joyful love, to live our lives as if Jesus were living our lives today. To follow him in true obedience. And this passage says, deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow him. Not grudgingly, or out of tradition, or out of obligation, but out of joy, out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving for his completed work on the cross. As difficult as sometimes that might be to understand, as confusing as that might sometimes sound, have faith in Christ. So today, Aaron made public profession of faith. But in fact, Aaron and Jolene did, and Mark and Cynthia did. For those of you who said the words of the Apostles' Creed and meant what you said, you too made public profession of your faith today. So the question we're left with, who do you say Jesus is Is he your Lord and Savior? And are you behind him, following him?
for those in small groups, you'll be talking more about this this evening or this week or in your homes. Talk about it. For those who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, may you follow Jesus and follow His will. Love Him. Love others. Make disciples. And does Jesus have control of your life? And is that evident in the decisions that you make, the words that you speak, the actions that you show? Because if you proclaim, yes, I believe in Jesus with your mouth, and your heart and your life is not transformed, you're not in line with the plans of God. As Jesus would say, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So confess, repent, receive God's grace, And continually ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal His will to us each and every day. Make that your prayer. And if you've not publicly professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you may want to just ask yourself the question, why you haven't done so? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you afraid what others might think? Friends, you're either for Him or you're not. You either profess him or you don't. And yes, faith is personal, but it needs to be shared publicly. And maybe some of you here today are spiritually confused. I mean, Peter's confession came from the Father, but his confusion came from the devil. Because the devil, he does want to mess things up. He does want to confuse us. The devil doesn't want God's people to understand the cross because there is power in the cross through Jesus. But when there is confusion, there's grace. And God will not ignore you. We said that already this morning, how God extends his hand of grace out to us, even to kids that don't even know what's going on. How much more won't he continue to extend it out to each of us? His spirit will continue to be at work in your heart because he desires you to belong to him in life and in death. God desires that that you get behind him and follow him and let him lead you through this life and into the next. And Jesus completed the work on the cross for all our sins. And through this act, he reconciled God's relationship with us. He restored what was broken and he brought us into a relationship of peace with God. You can read that in Romans 5. But as in any relationship, even in a relationship of peace, we still have to respond in a relationship of faith and love to God. Respond out of thanksgiving and gratitude, knowing that you are behind Jesus, following Jesus. And knowing that also means that he's always with us, wherever we go. He's with us always to the end of the age. So thanks be to God for the cross. Thanks be to God for his son, Jesus Christ. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Messiah, Holy Spirit, you went all the way to the cross for our sins so that we don't have to because we possibly couldn't be able to. A perfect, sinless, anointed Savior hanging on the cruel, rugged cross. And sometimes grace does not make sense, but we're thankful for it. We're thankful for you and for that one act on the cross. Help us to be willing to get behind you and to follow you at any cost. And we know that we don't have to pay for the cost for our sins. But salvation and following you sometimes has its cost. 
And may we not fail to follow you under any circumstances. May we continue to know that as we follow you, follow you that you are with us wherever we go. And praise you and thank you. Lord, increase the faith of your people who are behind you following you. And Lord, there are those who are behind you and not following you. And we pray that your spirit turns their hearts to you. Open the doors of salvation to your people who are being stubborn or, or maybe are ashamed or just have not answered your call. Work in all of us to share this amazing gift and the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. Work in us to open our hearts, to open our arms in a stand of surrender to you and to offer our hearts and our lives to you. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.